0: in at romans chapter 7 verse 14 to the end so we've already looked at the fact that we are released from the law that is we're released from the condemnation of the law and the curse of the law verses 1 through 6 we've looked at what it meant to respect the law verses 7 through 13 the law is holy good righteous And tonight we're going to consider together what it means to live as a Christian in relationship to the law. Now, just as we come to this section, I'm going to keep this short. But as we transition from verses 7 to 13, now into verse 14, the tense changes. Paul was speaking in the past tense because last week Paul was speaking as a pre-converted man. This week, I believe, in verses 14 through 25, Paul switches to the present tense because he's speaking as a Christian man. This is his post-conversion experience. He's writing as a Christian. Now, I find the verb tense a compelling enough reason to, to go with this. The plain meaning of the tense. Paul is speaking about the present tense experience. But I might believe that, but there are many Christians who don't believe that. They believe it's a rhetorical device. They don't believe a Christian could ever say what Paul says in verses 14 through 25. How could someone who's a Christian say that they are of the flesh, they're sold under sin. How could anyone who's a Christian ever say that they're a compulsive sinner? How could anyone who is a Christian say that they keep on doing evil? So you've got the likes of Martin Lloyd-Jones, the highest respect in the world for the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He would say that the person that's been writing in verses 14 to 25 is a man who's not a Christian, he's under conviction of sin but he's not yet in christ you've got others who would say that the person that's been referred to in verses 1 verses 14 through 25 it must be adam adam he he knew that experience in in the in the garden where the evil he did not want to do any updoing so so it must be adam others still say it's israel listen you have to do mental gymnastics to get to that conclusion in my my opinion some of you might hold that so I'm sorry, but I'm going to go on this one with Augustine, Owen Murray Packer, Sinclair Ferguson. Now they might all be wrong and when we get to glory, we'll discover if you hold a different view you go your way I'll go the Lord's way with them <laughs> <More kidding. laughs> but i but I do want to say, and I, I need to say this like Thomas Schreiner uh, Ted Donnelly many many good gospel hearted men think this might not be a Christian so as as much as I joke there I don't want to belittle anyone who holds a different view Um, I just think that as we study it we're going to study our own experience and I think we need to face up to the reality of who we are now remember the context paul's been addressing the the place of the law remember he'd written in chapter 6 verse 14 we're no longer under the law we're under grace and this threw up more questions and it did give people answers and so paul's having to been responding to to, to all the to the questions that were thrown up so if you know you're saying paul that we're not under law but we're under grace does that mean we can continue to sin by no means Okay, Paul, if, if, if you're saying we're, we're free from the law, can we continue in sin? <laughs> by no means. Paul, it sounds like you're saying that the law is bad because you say it, it provokes sin in us. Are you saying the law is bad? Paul, by no means. But, Paul, the problem is, is when you talk about the law, you say the law it eventually leads to death. So, Paul, are you saying the law is responsible for sin and death? By no means. And now Paul's going to say, okay, but let's talk about what is the place of the law in the christian life because if there's one thing we saw last week for the converted person the law does expose our sin and that that drives us to christ so what does the law do in your life in my life who are christians well the first thing that paul says about the law verse 14 is the law is spiritual now what does that mean well it's given by the spirit but you remember when jesus was preaching the sermon on the mount he said, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. You've heard it said, you shall not covet. So on and so forth. And all the Jews could say, yeah, yeah. Jesus, I've never committed adultery. I've never broken my marriage vows. Jesus, yeah, yeah, I've never murdered someone. And Jesus I tell you this. If you've looked at a person with hate, you've committed murder. If you have looked at another person with lust in your eyes you have committed adultery the law is spiritual it gets right under the surface gets right to the spirit of a man and a woman and it convicts us and exposes us for who we truly are it reveals our true spirituality so Paul's first statement is the law is good it's holy it's the law is spiritual but he sets that statement against this statement but here's the problem verse 14 but I am of the flesh sold under sin now as i hinted at just before we started looking at the sermon is that when paul speaks here of being of the flesh he's speaking about the fact that you and i still inhabit the very bodies that we've been given as a result of being if i can put it like as children of adam belonging to the adam's family yes we are in our union with christ dead dominion of sin and the power of sin but here's the reality we might have a new person a new inner person but the problem is we still inhabit bodies bodies that are that know the presence of sin they might not know the power of reigning sin but they, they certainly know the prince of sin now this is nothing new we, we, we looked at this when we were looking at chapter 6 do you remember that we were not to present chapter 6 verse 12 do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness or let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions Paul's already said listen we might be dead to sin but sin is not dead to us it's still alive we're still fight fighting with sin and so Paul's not contradicting himself here. He's saying the person who is a Christian is still very much um, aware of the reality of sin in their body and in this world. So we still live in bodies that, that crave sin, that lust. Now, that will be done away with at the end. At the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But right now, we still are of, if I can put it that, not in the flesh, but we are of the flesh. And Paul wants to explain, what does that mean then? Okay, what does that mean? Well, look at verse 15. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want but I do the very thing I hate now, honestly Christian believer here tonight can you relate can you relate to what Paul's just said there? there are parts of your life experience as a Christian that are a complete mystery to you you can't make head or tail of the fact that you are a bundle of contradictions you know the law is good You know the law is spiritual. You know it's supposed to be sin. You know that the law reveals God's righteous ways. You want to do the law, but here's the mystery. You don't do what you know you should do. You do the things you hate. The things that the law commands us not to do. And as Paul knew of himself, he knew that as a Christian... He did the things that he was not supposed to do. Now, I just want to make, draw your attention to the fact that he says the things that he does not want to do, he hates them. To, to me, that, that is proof, that is evidence that he is a Christian. He doesn't want to sin. He hates sin. And only a regenerated mind, only someone who's been spiritually awakened could say that. You see, when we were in the, truly in the flesh, when we were truly still in Adam, we didn't think twice about sinning. But Paul, it, it grieved him when he thought that his behavior didn't line up with God's will. And the problem that Paul knew, it's not the law's fault. It's the sinful, the indwelling sin. Look at verse 16. If I do what I do not want to do. If I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. Paul never blames the law. The law is not the problem. The law is holy, righteous, good. But one of the things he totally has come to agree is that the law, it convicts him of his sin as a Christian. Again, if you're a Christian here tonight, is that not your experience? Like, Let's be really honest. Have you committed adultery this week? That is, have you looked at another person with lust? Have you murdered this week? Have you harbored in your thoughts feelings of hate, contempt? Have you borne false witness That we do not want to do, that we hate to do, have we done them? It's not the law's fault, it exposes them. Now here's the question Who then is to blame? And this is, this, is, this is when you hear a man who's united to Christ, who's a new creation in Christ speak. Look at what's in verse 17. So it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You imagine. Theo did something wrong. And he said, Daddy. He started speaking with an English accent. and keeps on saying, Daddy. It wasn't me. It was sin in me. I'd say, come on, Theo. It was you. Stop giving me excuses. But Paul's not giving an excuse here. Paul's giving a right theological explanation here. He's not saying that he doesn't have any responsibility or guilt in the act of sin. But what he's saying is that sin, living in him, indwelling sin, that's what made him do it. Just notice, he doesn't say this once. He says this twice. Go down to verse 20. Now, if I do not do what I want, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The real culprit is indwelling sin. As I said, he's not saying that he's not responsible for his actions. But you know what he is saying? He's saying, I am a new creation. I am new. There is an inner man. He's new. I've been born again. With a new heart, new mind, new affections, new desires. That man did not sin. No way did he sin. He's been made new by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who's united to Christ but i'll tell you who did sin sin dwelling in me the body that belonged to the old way the adam's family yeah the sin inside me that's what made me do what i did not want to do you know the, the thing about our old nature it's it's like our shadow everywhere we go it's there yeah, Christ put to death, crucified the, the, the old man. He's dead, he's buried, he's gone, but his clothes seem to still be there and you and I, we still fit in them. And this indwelling sin, well, is what we often succumb to. Now, now, now listen to what Paul says in between verses 17 and 20. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. And, and, and be very careful here. He qualifies it with this statement. That is in my flesh. Every person who is united to Christ is Christ living inside them. So, so, so you could never say nothing good dwells in me, period. But in your flesh, nothing good dwells in you at all. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do not do what I want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, to be honest, chapter 7 of Romans is not the only place that speaks of this inner war that takes place, this inner struggle with sin. Um, Galatians. If you could get your Bible there, just, just flick over to Galatians with me for a minute. Galatians chapter five. You're using a church Bible, it's page nine seven five. Look at verse seventeen. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Then take your Bible and turn over with me to James chapter 4, verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1. Page 1012. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you, is it not this that your passions are at war with in you? Or, or why don't you turn over one more time, right? First Peter chapter two, just over the page. Verse eleven. By beloved, I, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage War against your soul. See what Paul's saying here? When he thinks of his Christian experience, there's this war within. You see, the new man within, he wants to do good. He delights in the law of God. But the problem is the flesh. The flesh. Well, it it wants to lead him into sin. Now, what's fascinating is that if the first section of Romans 7, verse 14 through 17 is the the first section, then there's another section that goes uh, 14 to 16, 17 to 20. Well, 21 to 23 says the exact same thing. So look at verse 21 of chapter 7. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil's close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. Can I just point this out, right? That phrase, in my inner being, means in my inner man. It's used two other times in the New Testament. Both times it's used of speaking of one's inner being is speaking of a believer's inner being. Paul uses it in Corinthians. She's one elsewhere. It just escapes me right now. And Paul says, in his inner man, he delights in the law of God. That's what every one of us, who are Christians, say tonight. We love the law of God. We delight in the law of God. That's why I chose to sing twice, Psalm 119. If you're a believer, you love the law. But I see, verse 23, in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Paul, Paul describes the Christian life as this constant struggle between wanting to do the law of God that's written on his heart at the very deepest level of his being which he delights in and the law of sin that's at work within, within him. And I want to ask you just tonight, do you know that experience? Because see, if you're a Christian I believe this is a true, normal Christian experience. We don't want to do the things that break God's law. We hate it when we do them. But the tragedy is we keep on doing them. I remember not long ago a group of men were gathered in the little room back there and One of the brothers said we should confess our sins to one another. (laughs) Just imagine a group of British guys. He was insistent. Come on. We're going to do it. I remember it vividly. I remember the first brother who confessed his sin with tears in his eyes. Saying, I don't want to do this. I hate it. That's a normal Christian life. That is a normal Christian life that we, we find ourselves in this constant conflict within, with the flesh. Now, the good news comes in verse 24, but before Paul says it, he makes us huge, and I, I don't think it's just like a verse, just like, wretched man I am. See that word wretched? In the Greek it means miserable. No, no, no. This is what Paul really, this is what he really feels. This is a statement. It's, wretched man that I am. He understands. He does not do that which is right and that which he wants to do and he knows it's evil and he knows it displeases the Lord and he hates it. He detests it. He so much hates it that before God he's like, God, I'm wretched. I am miserable. And that takes us back to verse 13. What does the law of God? It shows us the sinfulness of sin. And here's Paul. He says, this is what the law of God does in my life. It exposes my sin. It spiritually reveals the reality of who I am. And it leads me to the place where I find myself crying out that I'm a wretched man. Now, there are many believers who take the other position that Paul could not say this as a believer. How can a believer say that he's a wretched man or a wretched woman? I'm going to be really honest before you. When I look at my life, even this past week, there are moments where the most appropriate thing as I reflect on it is to say, oh, what wretched man that I am. I would do such a thing, that I would think such thoughts, that I would say such a thing or, or want to say such a thing. I think Paul here is telling us here is the true reality of living the Christian life. Now, please do not hear me saying this. Therefore, we can go out here and just rest on the fact that we are habitual and compulsive sinners and we do evil. Paul's not given license. And the reason we know he's not going to give license is in chapter 8. He's going to give us the the glorious truth of why we can live in step with the Spirit. But I, I know that the reality of who you and I is is that we are wretches exposed by the law and driven afresh to Christ. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul asks. Answer. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul knows that the deliverance he needs from the body of death, well, it's guaranteed. Jesus. Jesus has united him to himself. He's married to him. There is this new inner man who longs to do that which is right, that hates doing that which is wrong, And he knows that he will be delivered at the last when we are resurrected. The first fruit of the Spirit, the groaning within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. There is coming a day when these bodies, these tents that we live in, which are longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, will, the mortal, will be swallowed up by life. That day is coming. And Paul, knowing that that day is coming, rested all his hope in it. Who alone can rescue me from sin? Jesus. And here's the amazing thing, right? The law can't do it. The law exposes your sin. The law is good, it's holy, it's righteous. The law can't give you the power to keep it. But every time you and I see our sinfulness and our wickedness and our wretchedness, we're not driven to the law. We're driven to Christ. Now, all I've done there, and that first, for most of the music, is just walk us through, give you a, a very light interpretation of these verses. As I, as I see it as being an explanation of the Christian life. What I want to do now is, just as we draw it to an end, is I want to give you the implications of, of why this section of God's word is so important for us. And, and I've been stressing this all along, but... I really believe that the, the, the version of the Christian life we've been presented with here, that this inner battle, this inner struggle with sin, I want you to know this is a normal Christian life. So this week, when you're struggling, I want you to know, so too is every single one of your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and see if this is true, right? This really should change how we do fellowship. Like, we're great at talking about the weather. We're great at talking about our week. We are absolutely rubbish at talking about the reality of who we are and the reality of our experience as Christians. And yet we all know it to be true. And and here's the implication I really want to drive home is I think sometimes we think if we just ignore it or if we just deny it, then... Hopefully it will be okay. But the problem is, you can't ignore your sin. You can't ignore your flesh, because your flesh, it's always taking more and more territory. And if you ignore it, it's not going to go away. No, 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 no. It's going to continue. In fact, experience would tell you that. If you ignore something, if you don't treat something, if you don't deal with something, well, it's going to wreak havoc in your life. one of the reasons why sometimes we're scared to face up to our sin and scared to admit our sin because we know if we said to other people some of the things that we we, we do, we think, we have done we might be exposed we might experience shame like never before but listen, that can't be true do you know how I know that can't be true? Paul Paul never lied about who he was You go read his testimony in Galatians. Even if it's pre-Christian testimony, he is so honest. He says he was a violent man, a persecutor of God's people. You you know, you read through the New Testament, and you you, you clearly get that some people struggle with Paul. Peter says, you know, he says some difficult things I don't understand. Then there's that moment where he's got a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh is, but God gives it to to teach him that his grace is sufficient. Maybe, 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 just maybe, Paul's biggest problem was his pride. But Paul never denied that. He owned that. Covetous. Stephen, we were thinking about it with single person. Paul doesn't hide the fact that it was covetous that brought him under the conviction of sin. He's very honest at explaining indwelling sin and without self-condemnation. And I think it's because he knows Romans 8, verse 1. The reason you and i can face up to our sin is because we know that there's no condemnation for our sin because we are in christ jesus man let me be honest i'm worse than you even you know i know that because i know something of my own heart i don't know all of my own heart But if I'm going to live the Christian life, one of the things I've got to do is I've got to learn to bring the reality of who I am before the Lord Jesus Christ himself, and I've got to deal with it. The second implication that Paul, uh, I think this section really wants to drive home, is is that you and I need to cultivate a hatred for our own sin and a love for the will of God, a, a love for the law of God. You see, that's what Christians are called to. We're called to the renewal of our mind. We're called to hate the things that God hates and love the things that God loves. And one of the ways we do that is we meditate on the law. We rejoice in the law. We read the law. We study the law. Here's our problem is we find it easier to hate other people's sin and point out other people's sin than even look at our own sin. And we spend so much time giving our minds to learning so many other things when... Sometimes we give very little acquaintance to the law of God, which our inner man delights in. Augustine said that if you really want to know what someone believes, don't ask them what do you believe. Or if you really want to know someone, don't ask them what do they believe. Do you ask them? Ask them what is it they love. I will reveal to you who they are and what they're like. Can I ask you this question? What sins do you love doing? What sins do you keep on doing? Because maybe in your inner mind you hate them, but you clearly keep on going back to them because you love them and you get something from them. One of the most transformative things is is to go before God and admit the things that you know you you you, you know in your inner person you hate, but that you keep on going back to because the flesh loves. Paul hated the sin that he did, but he loved the law that God had given. And the wonderful freedom of living in this view of the Christian life, we are free to be honest. Free to be honest about what draws us away and free to face up to that which we should love. And then the final thing I just want to point out is that Paul says very clearly here, you know, our hope hope is is, is not that on this side of eternity we will be perfect. Because we won't. A huge heresy that plagued the church, especially in the 20th century, was a heresy called perfectionism, that you could be perfect on this side of glory. And some people literally believed it from what Paul says in Romans chapter 6 union with Christ is so glorious, no longer under the power of sin, no longer under the dominion of sin free from the law, well, clearly you're perfect, the only way to describe the Christian life based on what's coming in Romans chapter 8, victorious living we're more than conquerors, how can he who's given us his own sin, how should he not give us all things, well, you must live out a perfect victorious Christian life, that's not true on this side of eternity we're going to fail, we're going to stumble but we need to know when we face up to the reality of our sin and of our failures, we've been driven back to Jesus. Like, as hard as this sounds, I don't know if you've had this thought, but I've had this thought all my Christian life. Why? Why God did you not, when you saved me, give me a new person inwardly and a new body and a new world? Like, why God did you give me A new inner man that loves your law, has a new heart, new affections, but still allowed me to live in in the flesh, the old old flesh haunting me. I don't know that, but let me hazard a guess. Because he wanted me to constantly be driven into the arms of his son. The more sin, the more you realize how sinful you are, the more you're driven to run to his son, who's such a glorious savior. Until he comes again, and he's coming again to make my body new, he's coming again to make this world new, he's coming again to deliver me from this body of death, I've got to rest my hope firmly and securely in him. And so do you. And so here's how we could help each other. Let's be honest with each other. Because the more we admit who we are, the more likely we're we're going to be wanting to speak to one another about how amazing Jesus is. (laughs) But the more we keep quiet about the reality of who we are, well, sadly, the less likely we are going to be at extolling the greatness and the glory and the wonder of a Savior who has promised to give us a new body and a new world. With our new self there. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you are so honest with us in your word. We thank you so much that you inspired the Apostle Paul under your Holy Spirit to write this section of scripture to talk to us about the reality of the Christian life. God, we are sorry. Sorry at the times where we ignore the reality of who we are and the reality of what your word reveals in us. We we know that we are wretched people as those who are united to Christ because of the, the old flesh. And so we pray that with the hope that you will deliver us through the Lord Jesus Christ, that we as people would be constantly running to Christ. And as brothers and sisters who are on this together, who are in this together, that we would be pointing one another to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how we are debtors to your mercy. And so we pray, oh God, even as we sing this last hymn, in response to what we've heard, that it would even encourage us to speak of the reality of your mercy to one another after the service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.